Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Ms. Brooke Deneau. Hi, Brooke. Hey, Vincent, and hello to you, the listeners. It is so weird to be recording. I feel like we haven't recorded in forever, and it's, it's only been like a week and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's been longer than typical, so it obviously feels like it's been a month. Yeah, so we were concerned, we'll get it right out of the way, the feedback you guys have given us on the last episode has been absolutely awesome, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, I've been getting a ton of people saying, oh my God, I, I'm glad I'm not alone. I feel the same way. And it's yeah. really funny because Keith and Keith and Corey and Chris um, on um, the Makeshift podcast literally had a very similar conversation three days after we did and right before we dropped I'm like they're going to think we're copying but we recorded ours first but <laughs> it was really cool hearing a very similar take okay. from other people so I think we're to, all starting to feel this I'll have to give it a listen I hope it didn't come across too angsty <laughs> no I, I, I said the same thing I actually said to someone I said we were worried that it was going to come across as like bitchy and bitter yeah. And they're like, no, not at all. It's actually very relatable. And I'm like, all right, okay, I can live with relatable. Relatable is good. Relatable. Yeah. So, how was your how was your extended time without me? <laughs> well, well, we had a great Fourth of July. Um, we were down in Rhode Island, just really chilling, and went swimming in the ocean and went boating. Like I don't know, all the all the standard things. The New England, the New England vacation thing. Yeah, very, very stuff. classic New England. Yeah, Fourth of July. We had lobster. Absolutely... Is there anything better? I lo lobster is average. I don't know if I'm gonna I'm, get. I, I will say this. I will say this. I'm not a huge like. I need like. I love lobster, but we my my friend that shares an office with me at work. Um, cousin's main lobster which is a local food truck and they mm -hmm. are known for making like high-end lobster stuff they um they were in the area last week so we had connecticut style lobster rolls for lunch mm -hmm. and oh, connecticut lobster rolls are the best and yeah. i don't care i know you massachusetts people like your mayonnaise but the connecticut style ones are just so much better i like lobster bisque that's what she had. She had that like, with hers. Yeah. Yeah. That's not overrated. That's really good. Other than that, like lobster's just fine, but I don't really love shrimp either. Mm, okay. It's like so very average food and a lot of people really like shrimp. You're so, not into the crustaceans. I like seafood though. Anyway. I, lobster mac and cheese though. <laughs> just mac and cheese is better. Like why are you putting that lobster in there? Like just... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I It's very funny you say this because I, I was... There was a friend of mine who literally just doesn't get lobster, like doesn't understand like what the big deal is, like mm. likes it, but like could never have it again and not miss it. Well, and now I'm hearing that from you. And well, like, no, this, oh. this is the part. This is the part that I think is part of the allure is you have the activity of eating it with everybody. Like mm. you're in a big circle with everybody you theoretically like, you know, like your buddies, your friends, your family, whoever, and you just are like cracking open these crustaceans together. I've and had it more at gross. home than I've had it at restaurants, by the way. I just want to point that out. You've but... eaten a lobster at home alone? Not like a <laughs> like, whole lobster, like, but like, like I'm poor. So no, I'm poor. So it's lobster tails, you know, like okay. the, the poor like the Italian guy lobster. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just picturing like why would one just like start cracking open a lobster alone anyway? <laughs> My brain's like going so. <laughs> so hey, hey I'm single. <laughs> I'm single. Look around me. This is a perfect place to eat lobster. You know, I uh, I I want you to enjoy that. Um, how was your Fourth of July? <laughs> My. F- third of july was excellent (laughs) (laughs) whatever it was yeah no it was great it was um obviously you know we talked about it beforehand we i ended up going up to jimmy's because you know it was time for jimmy's speedway and i gotta tell you that thing is becoming like i was not prepared for how many people were going to be there this year because last year there were like 12 people there okay and you know counting jimmy and i like it wasn't a lot of people it was still a hell of a lot of fun we had a great time but this year I mean, there's How a group many? photo. There's a group photo on Jimmy's Instagram. There had to be 50, 60, 70 people there. That's awesome. It was incredible. Like the parking lot. When I pulled in, the parking lot was full. That's and awesome. last year I was the first car in the lot 20 minutes after it started. So <laughs> Oh no. And you were like, oh no, why did I drive on? Yeah. You- so. Yeah. It was great. But funny, fun story. So Jimmy, as I was leaving, I was like, um, I got it, you know, I'm gonna head out. Okay, cool. And we were talking for a bit. He goes, no, I'm glad you didn't turn around this time because he, he had heard us talking about how that the, the first time I went up, I was at every exit thinking about turning around. So he brought yeah, it up. He, he knew I, that story. Now you just felt exposed. You're like, well, shoot. I didn't know whether to feel exposed and ashamed or honored that he actually listened closely enough to catch that story and then remember it enough to throw it back to me. So I was <laughs> kind of impressed. But yeah, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I saw People I hadn't seen in person before. I got to see. Um, I got to see Dave Bauer. I got to see Keith Decent. I got. To, um, I mean, I could just sit here dropping names all day long. But um, yeah, there. Were, I got to see some people for the first time. It was really cool. I got to meet Bernie, which was one of the reasons I went. I went there because Bernie was going to be there. So it's always such a fun time. It really is. And it's I say be- that. Well, yeah, go. No, I'm going to say it's going to be a bigger thing next year, too, because next year people like me can participate because I'm making I'm making an RC car next year. Yeah, the current the current plan, we Fourth of July, realistically, we're never going to attend just because that's a big a big one with my husband's family. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're looking forward to Maker Camp this year. Fingers crossed. Mm hmm. I'd love to go, but the, uh, <laughs> you're not going. No, I'm not, because the stayover stuff is all sold out, and there's no place for me to go. Oh, so, really, it's <laughs> already sold out. Yeah, the gold level tickets, which is the only way I bother going, mm-hmm. are sold. They've been sold out for a while, apparently. Apparently, when people were saying you're going to miss out, they really meant you're going to miss they, out if you don't they buy. Really a meant ticket. it, huh? Yeah. Who knew? So we have a guest tonight. We do. We actually yes. have a guest tonight. <laughs> And our guest tonight is actually returning for the first time in just over two years. Um, And you know how much we talk about how we don't have a lot of return guests? And we don't. So it's a big honor for this person to be on. But he's seriously, he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of mine. And I am really happy to have back the one and only Chris from Cowdog Craftworks. What's going on, bud? How you doing? What's up, Vincent and Brooke? How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. (laughs) It's, It's fun because... Ethan and I and Chris had a chat going, and Brooke doesn't know this, but now she'll know. Um, we had a chat. We used to do a break in the middle of the show for ads to leave an insert for ads, and now we don't do that. We don't do ads anymore. And we had this ongoing chat. I mean, we had it ongoing for like almost a year and a half of just Chris, Ethan, and I just throwing shade at each other in a chat called the Halftime Show. So now we have the Halftime Show Part Two. 
So, Brooke, you have been initiated into the halftime show. So, congratulations! Welcome. Wow, aboard. thanks, guys. So, I just get well, to I just get to throw shade at you guys. Yeah. Well, the way we it started was uh, the first time I was on. You know, like we would do a break for the halftime show. It was kind of like you know, mm-hmm. go fill up your drink, use the bathroom, whatever. Yeah. But the conversation that we were having during the halftime show was probably almost as good as the actual podcast. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. We were just like dragging it out. And so, yeah, we had such a good time. So I ended up like renaming the group chat. But yeah, so that's where we're at yeah. now. Halftime show part two. <laughs> so not much has happened since the last time you were on. I mean, the podcast is still going. I still have a co-host from Massachusetts. Um, you know, what's going on with you? How you been? <laughs> oh, man. So good gosh, two years. I mean, that's that's quite a lot to cover. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the last life changing one... events in that two years. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I've got a few. I mean, for first of all, I got married. So that Congratulations. was a Congratulations. thing. Yeah. And uh, thank you. Um, my YouTube channel's now been up and running for about two and a half years now. So that's been congratulations. Yeah, still kicking it. Um, I took a really weird hard left turn into Japanese woodworking, which was something that I had not really dabbled in at all the last time I was on. And, uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's gotten weirder and weirder by the day. And you've always (laughs) been the hand, our hand tool guy, but you were never, you were dabbling a little bit in everything but now you're like hardcore japanese woodworking type stuff oh yeah like i've i've eaten the bible at this point like it's it's now (laughs) um so that's that's kind of where that is and i'm also now the uh director of jonathan katz moses's uh charity arm of km tools so the katz Ah. moses woodworkers with disabilities fund so um yeah like i've been doing that since so I signed on with him probably last November, December, and you know we've been kind of like piddling around a little bit, sort of plotting is the best way to put it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just launched our big uh, build-up initiative this, uh, what, maybe like two, three weeks ago, something like that. Like I think it was the last weekend in uh, June. So yep, yep. yep. Yeah, we're that we're is full on. so. I was reading about this. So Chris sent over the links. I, I I asked him if there's you know a link that we can just do some research on how the charity works. And this thing is, this is a fantastic charity. Like it's a it's a great it's a great idea, and it's really interestingly ish. I can't speak today for nothing. This is a good day for me to lose my ability to talk. Right? Um, it's a really interesting way to promote something so good because a lot of times you put a charity out there and somebody's like, well, I don't have the money. Okay. Well, here's a, I love the way that you guys frame the, well, you can make the stuff, you can deliver the stuff, you know, you could do all this, all this other than just handing over money. And I I love the way you guys did it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the charity and what it does and how it works and all that? Because I think this is, this is something a bunch of people that listen to this show are going to want to get involved in. Yeah. So um, it's actually coincidentally started right around the last time that I was on the podcast. So about two years ago, Cats uh, had through the Reddit woodworking community actually discovered a guy or I should say a kid named Vlad. And uh, we sort of dubbed him Vlad the Builder. So Vlad has a very serious disability Basically, he was born where his bones were like unable to, I guess, defuse. So they were unable to separate. So he has this incredibly limiting and extremely painful disability, but he is enamored with woodworking. So his parent was essentially like, hey, you know, this kid's really into woodworking. You know, can we get some material? Can we get some gear for him? And essentially, Jonathan reached out and was like, hey, like, 
what do you guys need? What is he into? Let me make it happen. So sent over a bunch of crates. The um, At the time, Vlad was living in the Ukraine and sent out a bunch of gear for him, got him set up. And just like the pictures that came back from that and the stories that came out of that as far as like how happy he was, how it made him feel. And, you know, we all know as makers and creators that sort of that, I guess, completion or even the journey to completion as far as making and creating is so satisfying. You know, there's so much... Mm-hmm science behind the benefits of uh, working with your hands. Um, it increases healing time. It can assist with depression, PTSD. Uh, another good guy that actually does some charity work in our space is Rob Cosman. You know, he has the Purple Heart Project. So getting people active with their hands and working in such a way is really therapeutic. And anyhow, so Jonathan had been, he opened up a 501c3 and for the most part, he was just running it out of his emails and his DMs which was incredibly inefficient and really sort of clumsy. And, you know, he's a very busy guy to begin with. And he just was like, listen, like 2022, I want to push this. I want to, you know, really take over the world, which is just who he is as a person, right? So anyhow, long story short, I had actually had some nonprofit experience. So for those who don't know, uh, I'm by day an attorney by trade. Uh, I work for the state. I advocate for children that are in foster care. And I've worked with a number of different charities. I actually was a director of a nonprofit alliance for a while. So I had some experience in this field to an extent. And so I put my hat in the ring. I was like, hey, you know, if you need a guy, like if we can sort of operate on a semi part two full time basis, like I'll make it happen. So that's kind of what we've been doing since then. So the way that the charity works, though, at least I should say not the charity, but the build up initiative is this Mm -hmm. concept that there's limitations for uh, folks with disabilities, whether it's work holding, which is primarily the main thing we've identified, to um, operating a table saw safely. I mean, there's so many different things that we sort of take for granted as able-bodied folks um, that people that have these disabilities, you know, don't take for granted. You know, they're true limitations that they have. So, looking at say the work holding piece first, we determined that we can create sort of three separate plans for devices that people in the community can build and that folks who want to receive it can therefore receive. Um, This is a community that I've always said, and I think this is not just me, but everybody, it's a very giving community. You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember the last time I was here, you know, people were making masks and, you know, doing the little hooks for the mask, you know, those 3D printed ones. Um, You know, it's just, there's so much, I guess, rallying and so much community support that we felt it necessary to really sort of tap into that and try to assist a community that's trying to be a part of our community too. So, you know, nuts and bolts of it, people can choose one of these plans, they purchase the plan, then, you know, the proceeds go directly to the charity. And then we link up that builder with a recipient who has been identified as somebody who wants that particular build. And Mm -hmm. once it is completed, it is delivered in whichever way, shape or form, people see fit. And then a tax deductible receipt is issued to the builder for the value of said plan and bill. So that is it in a nutshell. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Who did the, who actually did the designs? Because one of them in particular, I, it, it struck me as like, I never thought of that. So the, the, the workhorse, the workhorse to me is the epitome of a brilliant design because it's it looks like a jeweler's bench pin and it's some that's something that I use all the time like I don't even think about it but I never thought of it as like hey if you made a bigger version of this it could be really really helpful to you know 
to getting stuff done. I never thought it's absolute. The three designs are genius. So there's a, a one handed vice, which again, you know, you, you say things we take for granted, you know, we take for granted that you can hold something in a vice while you kind of crank it to crank it down. There's a low combination um, workhorse, which is basically a work surface with clamping dog holes and stuff like that. And then there's a, a crane essentially that you can that you add a motor to to help lift heavy stuff and it's on caster so you can move it around the shop like these designs are really intense like really really smart clearly well thought out um who did the design work on these so um jonathan as a team um i will say and you're really stroking my ego here vincent because the workhorse was mine um that's actually the it's one brilliant that, it's my um... favorite i mean i'm not gonna lie it's my favorite <laughs> but it just I, I never th like you. I, as I was looking at it this morning, I was like, oh, wow, I could really use one of these in my shop. Like, I almost want to get one and make it for myself. Like, I know it's a horrible <laughs> thing to say because we're talking about a charity, but I almost want to make it for myself. Like, I could see a use for this, like maybe put longer legs on it, but this, it's brilliant. It's yeah. just a great design. And so, you know, I adapted that plan from a traditional saw or, or sorry, a traditional saw bench. So, okay. um, Christopher Schwartz um, from Lost Art Press, he originally is sort of the guy that popularized the concept of a saw bench. And I essentially adapted this model, which has dog holes, it's got splayed legs. It's just everything's a little bit sort of a little more annoying and more difficult. Um, one of the neat things about that particular plan, though, is that we actually included um, it's like essentially two sets of plans in one. So there's a beginner version, which is a straight legged version that doesn't use any complicated joinery. It's like half laps with Miller dowels, super simple. Um, and then the version that I did, which has this funky Japanese dovetail and, you know, just the of whole night. Because of course, it does. So, of course, of course yeah. it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's so on brand for you, by the way. I just want to point that out. It's so. Yeah. But I will say, I mean, I was the one who kind of definitely said, I was like, listen, you know, we can use this plan because um, I actually had brought it with me. Oh, so speaking of other things I did in the two years off, uh, I taught at WorkbenchCon <laughs> this past year. And yeah. uh, I, I built this bench actually for the purpose of teaching that class. So oh, cool. I wanted to have a functional low bench for doing timber frame joinery where you're lifting, you know, wet six by sixes. You don't want to be trying to lift those up to tabletop height. So having some a lower work surface is helpful. And I wanted to be able to clamp things and sort of show off, you know, all the uh, versatility in that sense. So I had it up there and obviously after showing it to Jonathan and, uh, another Chris, his design guy, uh, Chris Macier, um, he was like, listen, this is something that we can totally do, but like, let's do, you know, two options of it and make it so that it's more accessible. And I will say, so the, the, uh, one handed, uh, micro workbench is probably our most popular plan right now. That's actually adapted from Jonathan's, uh, Moxon vice that he designed. The difference being is that a Moxon vice has two, uh, vice screws on it. Whereas this has a, you know, a one single quick release, uh, vice, which does make it a little easier to operate. That by and far is our most popular plan out of these three. But I mean, a close second is the uh, low workhorse, which was a, a very pleasant surprise. And I will say the gantry crane is really cool. So that's actually uh, Jonathan's baby. Um, his whole thing was like, listen, guys who are working in the workshop, um, they tend to notice, especially if you have disabilities, that it's difficult to move things around. You know, it's difficult to flip a tabletop. It's difficult to move, say, a table saw from one end of the shop to the other if you don't have a mobile base. Hell, even getting it onto the mobile base is, you know, exactly. sort of a big thing. So yeah. having something like that. And what's cool about that plan too is that 
once the builder builds it, we actually send the hoist directly to the recipient. So that way, however that uh, gantry crane is going to arrive there, the hoist is actually waiting on site. So for whoever is going to, to build it, you know, they'll have access to it there. It's just a simple hook, you know, that goes on and, you know, voila, that's it. So yeah, pretty cool. It, the, the whole, the whole, the whole package of it. I really just love, I love the way you guys put this together. I, I really do. I'm, I, I got, I got the, all the warm fuzzies, you know, cause you, like I said, you give people the option of, Hey, donate, you know, make some donations or Hey, if you can't donate, maybe you can build something. And Hey, if you can't donate or build, you could show up at the place where it needs to be put together and help put it together. Like you've given people ample opportunity to be able to participate. And I think that's a, that's a great thing because it's going to encourage people who otherwise would be like, I don't really have the money for this. Yeah. And as you were saying too, Vincent, you know, when you were talking about just looking at the low workhorse and you're like, oh man, like that's something I could use in my shop. I mean, by no means are we strong arming people into delivering these things. You know, if you just buy a plan, you know, those Mm -hmm. proceeds are going to the charity anyway. So even if you just buy the plan and you're going to build this for yourself and your shop, you know, the money that's going from that is going to go to help, you know, our community that's in need. So yeah, it's definitely pretty cool. Yeah. Has, so you started doing, you said you started doing this in this particular no. part of it in June of this year? Yes. So okay. we fully launched, um, yes, it's been about two weeks, which has been pretty interesting. So we have, I'm trying to remember the, uh, <laughs> the verbiage that Jonathan uses. I think he calls it a semi-autonomous system to network and link people. I, I don't really <laughs> know what half of those of words mean. That. Yeah, I'm not even sure he knows what half of those words mean. But regardless, I mean, essentially what's happening here is that all this information that we're getting from our applicants is all going mm-hmm. into a spreadsheet. And then good old me has the amazing job of sifting through all the data and trying to link people up that are in relatively close proximity to each other. Um, in the case of the one-handed uh, micro workbench, what's kind of nice about that project specifically is that it's small enough where it can actually be shipped. So if there is a need, then I can just you know link up somebody from across the country, and then you know they provide us a receipt for the shipping, and then we just add that to the tax deductible receipt. Um, I will say one thing that you know and. Uh, let's say this is the call to action uh, from my portion of this episode is that we do want to get more recipients. I mean, that's one of the biggest things is um, either having people that have these disabilities or limitations apply, or we have a tab on our build up initiative landing page to nominate a recipient, which is essentially an email to me. And then I will then, you know, reach out to so-and-so and, and, you know, try to get them involved in uh, receiving uh, whatever we have to give. And, you know, the biggest thing there is that, you know, with this community, um, we've had an outpouring of builders and volunteers to the point that it's actually dwarfing our recipient list. And I'm actually... <laughs> That's to be expected, though, I was right? going to say, I mean... that just sounds like the maker community, though, uh-huh. because this plays on the community's strengths in such a big way. Yeah, yeah exactly. And... Yeah, and that's that's exactly what we wanted to do. But we also don't mm. want to lose sight of the fact that you know we have a target population that we're trying to reach ultimately. Mm. So yeah. you know, we want to make sure that we are getting what we have to the people that need it the most. So you know, like I said, if you know there's people out there that have you know disabled, uh, sorry, disabilities or limitations. I mean, this is you know literally anything. We have combat related disabilities, people that are suffering from PTSD, etc. You know, it's not like a one brush paints all kind of thing. Um, you know, they just need to fill out the form and we take a look yeah. at it. And if they're eligible, then we help them. I mean, that's, that's really all it gets yeah. down to. Have you, um, have you thought to reach out to local schools, high schools, tech schools? 
So shop teachers. Interestingly enough, uh, one of my best friends, uh, literally right down the street from me, uh, PJ Fetcher, he's a shop teacher. And then another, okay. uh, a good buddy of mine who I taught the class at WorkbenchCon with is also a shop teacher. Um, so my plan for getting shops involved was actually to have them more on the builder and volunteer side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, folks with disabilities that are in high school, I have noticed a little bit of a tendency by the schools and school boards to keep those children out of shop class to an extent. Yeah. Um, well, no, I was thinking, I was thinking that before <laughs> I even asked the question of, I don't know if this is a silly question, but I feel like that's such a logical place to go or like a vocational school. But I want, I was wondering that exact thing. Yeah, I think, I do not know, but you know, as somebody who is an attorney, I think that there's definitely some <laughs> liability issues that are probably would... sort of <laughs> lingering around in there, but it with makes, that being... it makes sense. Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, it's an army of, I mean, kids that can get involved in building these projects. I think it would be so cool to have a high school shop class, build one of these gantry cranes and deliver it to somebody. I mean, I think that would be just absolutely epic to see that, you know, people that are unloading large amounts of lumber, say from a truck, uh, doing it in a really easy and manageable way. I mean, it could just be so fun. So there's so much potential. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm just picturing like, like shop classes and like a, I, I was the first thing that came to mind when I saw all this was Eagle Scout projects, mm. because, you know, to get your Eagle Scout certification, you need to do a community project of some kind. I'm thinking like, man, imagine like an Eagle Scout, like making a couple of gantry cranes or a couple of the workbenches like that would just be like, there you go. There's you. If you have a kid that's trying to be an Eagle Scout, get them signed up. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Get them also, fun up. fact, I am an Eagle Scout. So, you know, I you actually are. Yes. Yeah. go. Oh, I was going to say who would have thunk it, but you know, that's... <laughs> I, I, my, I, my, well, my older brother is a Boy Scout and I grew up my entire life wanting to be a Boy Scout so bad. That's crazy. just because they got to like do cool stuff like this. Fun well, fact, there's another now you can. Ferrari. I can. Yeah. Is there another Vincent Ferrari? <laughs> There's Wait, another what? Vincent Ferrari who actually is an Eagle Scout and I get all his emails. Huh. So I get, emails, I get invited to, I'm not kidding. I get invited to all these Eagle Scout functions like Vincent Ferrari as an Eagle Scout. We understand that's like, <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. <laughs> you should just show up. I really shouldn't. It's just like, here's my invitation. Like, you yeah. know, I don't and have my I uniform. Will- also say too about this whole sort of like data collection and like developing this recipient list, you know, there's obviously questions on the application as to what people need, what, um, I guess struggles they're having in the shop. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously some of the more like vital statistics, like what their specific disability is, et cetera. But one of the things that having access to this data has done for the charity, and especially for me as a person who's analyzing all of it is I can sort of tailor aid to specific individuals outside of sort of the buildup initiative. So just looking at the charity in general, when I'm looking at this spreadsheet, um, and here's a really great example. We had an applicant, his name's Harry, and he had essentially said that I have trouble um, keeping things like organized in my shop. Like I have a lot of storage issues. I have a small space. And the very first thing, as soon as I read that, I emailed over to Adam uh, Beasley over at Wall Control, and he sent this guy a wall control unit within three days. I mean, as soon as I kicked over the coupon code, the guy lost his mind. He was like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Like, yes, absolutely. Like, you know, that's what this is for. So, you know, we're not only doing obviously the, I guess, sweat equity as far as building things, but, you know, we can use our relationships in this community as far as networking with brands, et cetera, to try to, you know, help this community as well. 
I yeah. never would have thought of that, but that's actually brilliant because we all, all of us, even, you know, we all have connections to somebody that could be helpful with something like this. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, it's like, I, I have trouble, you know, for, I don't know, I, I have trouble with dexterity issues and I can't get my hands in the little jar to get the finish out. It's like, okay, so we know the guy that makes the finish. Let's get them to make a special container for you that you can get your hands in, like something like that. Like that's something you could actually do. And it never even clicked, like, because I was so focused on your, your, you know, the stuff that you guys have on the website, but I never thought of like, hey, if we bring all these people together, we now have a network of brands we can leverage to get help for these people also. And that's, Damn, dude, you are just, you're just doing it the right way. You're just doing it the right way. Well, we're trying. I mean, <laughs> this, this is all in its infancy. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. It's definitely, it's been a, a learning experience for sure. I mean, these past couple of weeks, I mean, it's a new challenge every single day. I, I want to say it's, this is a funny story. So within three days of us releasing, uh, you know, the build-up initiative and the plans, the uh, supply chain struck again. And the vice that we had linked in the plans was sold out with no future date oh, no. of uh, restocking. <laughs> so, you know, we had templates that were specifically tailored to that vice. We had paper templates too that were, you know, for all the holes and everything. So actually I tapped back into our, you know, builder community as far as the people that had applied. So some guys were like, hey, like I'm going to try purchasing something that I think is similar and I'll let you know if it works. And sure enough, Ooh, somebody nice. found one. They're like, this is the exact same vice that's just sold by a different outfitter. And now we've taken that, linked it back in and we're up and running again. So mm. yeah, it's just those little things. I mean, it's really cool to see how this community comes together in so many different fronts. Oh, what yeah. has been the the biggest surprise so far in like putting this together? Because you said you had 501c3 experience. So you know what it's like. I, I don't know if you've ever been on the ground floor of a charity or if you've kind of been involved in charities that were already running. But what's been your biggest surprise, you know, getting going with this? Is there anything that's like, oh, I was I never saw that coming? Whoa. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily something I haven't seen coming. But what I will say is that. There's so many differences between working with somebody like Jonathan in a charity and then working with the typical charitable boards that I've had to work with before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jonathan's got amazing reach. You know, he is, he's just the whisperer, right? Like he says something and people do it. People make it happen. Um, a great example of this is obviously with the, you know, war in Ukraine, so I was talking about uh, Vlad the Builder and his family. You know, he is actually part of a homestead um, with I think it was like twenty to thirty families that were all living there. Um, women, children that were you know distressed and in need. Um, his parents actually run a charity there in the Ukraine at the time, and their city was getting bombed. And so Jonathan, you know, was texting back and forth using WhatsApp and whatnot, um, and was getting all this information as to, you know, things are getting hot, they're getting rough. And Jonathan within 24 hours was able to raise about $40,000 to relocate the entire homestead, not just the family, everybody out of that area. So, I mean, that was amazing. Damn. Like, you know, Vlad, Vlad and his family are, you know, living happily out of the area, you know, like they're, I believe in Germany, if I'm not mistaken, I could be completely wrong on that, but they are safe. The families that they were working with are safe. And so to see that as in before, you know, when I was working with other charities, you're struggling to even find a dollar anywhere, you know, and you're battling yeah. with other people in that space too, for the same yeah. pool of money, so to speak, to try to help people. 
and with Jonathan, just like I said, his reach, his push, his compellingness, um, it's something else. It's really, really special. So it's very exciting to work with that. Yeah. Do you have any success stories or happy stories from your, I mean, it's been a brief amount of time that you've been working on it that you're able to or comfortable sharing? So right now, like nothing, I mean, I guess that story I was just talking about with the uh, wall control <laughs> setup is probably the quickest thing that I've got. But what I can say is that so far I've linked up everybody in our recipient list with a potential builder, except for one guy. And I'm like literally just waiting on him to email me back. So that way I can link him up with somebody else. Um, wow. And that to That's me awesome. is really, really cool. And everybody is like just... I mean, they're on it. Uh, you know, as soon as I drop that email introduction between the builder and the recipient, they're, you know, firing off ideas. Um, I've got a guy, I believe it's in San Leandro, California. It's in that like Northern California, Fremont, California area. Um, and him and the recipient, the recipient's actually, for somebody that is does have a disability, she's a very competent woodworker in her own right. And I was like, hey, like, you know, you need the gantry crane, but you need to tailor it to your specific needs you know, you guys figure out how it is and like, no lie, they're just firing emails back and forth, trying to like ski in different ways to make this work, uh, to tailor it to her needs. So seeing that, I mean, that's just a success in and of itself. Um, but I don't really think we're going to see to me, in my opinion, like what I see for success in this program is two, three years down the road from now, having this full database of builders, volunteers, and recipients that's able to be networked and interacted in a really cohesive manner. So as soon as somebody's like, Hey, I have an issue. I can just be like, all right, I've got five guys in your area. I've sent out emails and you know, first come first serve as to who's going to help you first. So yeah, that's to me, that's the measure of success in this area. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking how I, and you could say it's not something you're willing to talk about, but I'm just curious how many people are involved as far as, you know, people producing the stuff and volunteers to make the stuff, volunteers to deliver stuff? Like, are we talking like, you know, 20 people? Are we talking 50 people? Are we talking 150 people? We're like, talking a few hundred right now. Um, and damn. what's <laughs> kind of crazy is that like the number just keeps growing. Yeah, and so crazy. I actually have a specific build up initiative inbox in my Gmail. And that thing does not stop dinging all day. <laughs> and so, yeah. Because I, I would imagine that, you know, when you're putting something that's this community focused together, you know, one of your first fears is what if I get, what if we get all recipients and no volunteers? Like, you know, or or even vice versa. What if you get all volunteers and no recipients? Yeah. Like what happens? Yeah. Like well, this th doesn't work if we don't have at least there's... some of each. <laughs> and, th and there's no way to know what the ratio is going to yeah. be without trying it too. You have yep. to just go for it. Um, I, I think it also speaks to more often than, than I guess it's preferable. I don't know how else to phrase it as makers too. We tend like very often we're making things that are not, they're appreciated by the end recipient, but it's 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 like a it's a different type of motivation to build something when you know the end recipient is so incredibly grateful for it too. So I would imagine that's that's part of why you have a lot of people really eager to to jump on board and build for this type of thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I mean, I will say so to your point, Vincent. I mean, we are sort of dealing with that vice versa situation. Not that we Almost, have yeah. no recipients, but like like I said, our builder and volunteer base is just grossly dwarfing our recipient base. So you know, <laughs> that is now 
I mean, really our new push. And I've really, I actually just shot an email out to our board of directors today. I was like, listen, like whatever we can do. And I'm actually, uh, I just reached out to a woman named Katie Thompson, who is a woodworker. She's wheelchair, semi wheelchair bound, not 100%, but um, she is a woodworker and a disabilities advocate. And from just having conversations with her, even she was like, you know, like that isn't so surprising that you don't have this huge recipient base that candidly, we sort of maybe assumed that we were going to have immediately off the bat. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, she was saying that, you know, there's so many associations out there, especially like woodworking associations that can sort of tap into this. So really now I think our work from my perspective, at least is kind of like getting, getting the boots dirty and like really tapping in and looking around to see where we can find our target population. Because I mean, unfortunately there is, that ultimate stigma about disability. Sometimes people are a little shy to get themselves and put themselves out there. So candidly, I think we just got to find these folks <laughs> and, right. you know, begrudgingly give them the help that they need, or I guess they'll be begrudgingly receiving it. But, you know, just really like sort of being like, Hey, like we're here, we're, you know, part of this community with you. Like, let's, let's do this. And what's cool too. And I think I had shot this out in the text that we had earlier is that July happens to be disability pride month. Um, I actually didn't Crazy, even right? know that until, uh, you know, sort of the timing of everything, but you know, that's a big point. It's like, you know, there's no need to be like embarrassed about, you know, having a disability or a limitation. Like we as the community are here to help. And, you know, that's the whole point of this charity. I think that's the most, I think that's the most amazing part. And, you know, you were talking before about, you know, Brooke, what you were saying where, you know, you, we don't, as far as the stuff we make as makers and we make cool stuff, whatever. And, you know, you don't get a chance to change a lot of lives. You really don't. Like we don't get to change a lot of lives. I no cutting board ever sold by me will change their life. Like nobody that gets a cutting board will change. I mean, I'd like to think that I could sell it that way. I mean, you know, it's like, this is a life changing cutting board. Your steak will never be nicer. But the reality is that the reality is that it's a cutting board and everybody, everybody has it, you know, and whatever. But man, just the idea of just seeing people that, you know, even if it's only that they were not that they weren't doing stuff, but that they were struggling so much and you've just given them a little bit of a boost to make their life a little easier and to make their creativity. We always talk about barriers to creativity and sometimes those little barriers end up just stopping you cold. And if you can knock down a few of those, you know, you'd be amazed at the things that people can make. And it's just so nice to hear. I don't know. I mean, I know you pretty well, so I know you're kind of, you're, you're not the, cocky sucker that you are on instagram i know you're a softy but hearing you talk about this it's like this is just a i I just i have the warm fuzzies all over right now like it's so nice to see and the stories and i love it i love this charity yeah and thank you um one of and i guess we're tapping back into the uh, success stories again but there was an interesting thing that sort of popped up like i think it was like day two or day three but um our micro workbench has a very i mean that's it is an original style, but at the same time, there's a tons of different versions of it. I mean, uh, Joburgs has a version that uh, they make, and some woman emailed me and was like, "Hey, like, I don't have a micro workbench, but I have this specific tabletop workbench that I ordered." And as most people who buy tools sometimes do, you buy something and then you never take it out of the box and never use it. And I don't know like, what you're talking about. That's only <laughs> happened to me fifty million times. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
So, you know, the next question, she was like, you know, do you know anyone that would want to use this? You know, because it's quick, like, I don't have to build this. I can just send it away and I'm happy to do so. And sure enough, had somebody on the list. I was like, all right, let me reach out to them. I shot them a, a link as to, you know, what they would potentially be receiving. I'm like, listen, you'd get this instead of the micro workbench. They're like, sold. All right, bring it over. So shipped, Fantastic. done. I mean, it's just those like quick little things too. I mean, obviously the build up and, you know, trying to get these different projects that we've identified in people's hands. I mean, that's the primary sort of focus of where this has started, but there's just so many opportunities outside of that to help. And really, I think the data collection behind this and getting our network built as far as, like I said, builders, volunteers, and recipients, that's where I, uh, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road for us. You know, that's where the yeah, biggest benefit is, is going to be. I think, I think, you know, if, and to people listening, if you know people, you know, in the media that you can put Chris in touch with, we'll help, yeah. we'll help make connections here. So Chris, obviously his links will be in the show notes, but if you want to contact him through us, contact him through us, we'll pass it along. If you have people in the media that you can help publicize this, if you have, you know, people that want to, people that you know need stuff, definitely get in touch with us or Chris, however you want to do it. If you get in touch with us, we'll pass it along to Chris, but we want to help as much as we can, as much as we're able. That's one of the reasons we had you on because we were talking about this charity. It's like, oh yeah, let me come on in a couple of weeks once the charity's rolling and we'll talk. I was like, okay, yeah, that's perfect. So where do you see, um, I know you were talking about, you know, having this big network or whatever, you know, what, when will you feel like, this is like succeeded what like there's a point where you feel like something succeeded and then it's like okay now we're in growth mode right you know there's that kind of like that cut that pivot point where you're going from okay we're trying to build something that's going to work to okay we know this works this is fantastic now let's make it explode like when do you feel like you're going to hit that point so i mean i guess the this would actually be a really interesting, uh, I guess, question for our next board meeting. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can like, speak I, there if you want. You know, I know a guy. <laughs> I got a really bitchin' shirt. <laughs> that is a great shirt, and I know this is an audio shirt. only platform. But you know, the cow dog AF shirts. You know, they're they're still strong out there in the community. <laughs> is it green? Is it blue? Who knows? <laughs> there's there's not seven colors now. Um, so, in all seriousness. Um, Really, and it, it's going to sound like a very oversimplified answer, but it's mm -hmm. honestly when somebody comes with me with a problem, you know, somebody from our target population that says, hey, I have this need and instantly I can find a way to help them on the spot. That's really, I think, when we get to that point that we have succeeded, where the network of, let's say, brands and the network of builders and volunteers that are, you know, all able and willing can jump in at a moment's notice and create that opportunity for somebody who needs it. You know, that is to me the biggest vision of success. The, the current, the way it's currently structured to an outsider, you know, I didn't know you guys were doing anything whatsoever with brands, right? Are there any plans to kind of add like a third, le another level for like, if you're a brand that wants to get involved, you know, here's how you can do it. Because I think that would be, I didn't know that you guys were doing that until you mentioned it here. So I'm thinking there's a bunch of other people, you know, I know a couple of brands that do listen to this podcast on a regular basis and they probably would like to get involved. So is there, is there a plan to, you know, I know you have the A and the B side. Is there a plan to add a C side and say, Hey, if you're a brand that wants to apply and you have a product that, you know, you'd be willing to help us with, you know, is that, is that in the cards or. So is it, it is certainly like in the cards. 
I would say that it's it's something that we've sort of talked about conceptually. And I know Jonathan's been, in, and I don't think I'm really telling any secrets here. So Jonathan doesn't do any sponsorships on his YouTube channel. Right. Like everything is just him. It's all KM tools. It's all his own products. Um, so he doesn't take any sponsored deals whatsoever. So this charity then becomes sort of a way to get these brands in front of his audience, potentially. So right. that is something that we've you know talked about from that standpoint. Um, what it looks like, we don't really have much of an idea of that okay. yet. And it's funny that you say that as far as like sort of this whole leveraging brands thing, because you know, you didn't know that we were doing it, but candidly, I didn't know that we were doing it until about a week ago when I decided, I was like, Hey, <laughs> I'm the director of this thing. I can do this. So right. I made it happen. And, yeah. you know, that's just kind of the way this grows. And I, I think that's definitely something that we can really use to our advantage for sure. Cause I was thinking, I was, it, the reason I asked is I was thinking, I forgot the name of the charity and I feel like a jerk for forgetting. And I'm really sorry if you're listening and you know, the charity, I'm sure one of you will. Um, there was a charity for veterans and they were working with like Inventables, Shape Oco, and Onefinity. And they were getting, you know, veterans who had lost a limb, they were getting them CNCs because, you know, that's a way for someone who's lost a limb to work, you know, on a larger scale, but yeah. not have to try to maneuver material and whatever, you know, it, it does make it a little easier to do like a big project or whatever. And I was like, that's a really clever idea. And I'm just, yeah. I'm just envisioning There's in a- my head. That, that would be a good fit. No. There's a charity that I used to uh, show my students. Um, I'm a maker. I was a makerspace teacher for a while, but I used to show my students that did um, prosthetics 3D printed for kids because Absolutely, they're expensive yeah. and kids grow at a very quick rate. So for you know children that need prosthetic limbs or would benefit from having prosthetic limbs, oftentimes it's very cost preclusive. If you think about how quickly kids grow out of a pair of sneakers. Um, where people would design the um, 3D files for a 3D printed mechanical prosthetic, so nothing like with robotics or electrical in it. And people could volunteer their 3D printer based on geography to print for somebody and then provide the kid a limb, which is wow. a cool charity. And again, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but I'll need to I'll need to get it for you, Vincent, to put in the show notes because... If only we knew we were going to talk about charities today, we could have had these charities ready to talk about. (laughs) Should have made the charity my thing of the week because I was like trying really hard to think of one. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So actually, it's funny that you bring that up, Vincent, because um, so from looking at our recipient pool and kind of, like I said, going through what they've identified as some of their struggles, one of the biggest ones actually is table saw safety. Um, Mm. And I gathered that through, you know, Obviously, people saying like, listen, I have some trouble safely pushing things through a table saw. And then also there was a disproportionate amount of requests for saw stops, um, which, you know, we can only accommodate so many of those, aka zero of those, (laughs) probably. But (laughs) there's, um, you know, say like push blocks and feather boards and things like that. I feel like there is some sort of, I guess... I don't know how to mitigator, put it. like a mitigator. Yeah. yeah you, you may not be able to get a saw stop, but we can get you some grippers. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And you <laughs> exactly. know, like micro jig is definitely on my list of, you know, folks to start reaching out to, et cetera, for mm-hmm. um, different devices to help with that. But that is definitely something I've noticed. And, you know, um, cats has a very large laser engraver or I guess laser cutter. I dare I say laser engraver, but um, he's got a very large laser cutter, a huge CNC, so even if we developed, say, a device and developed some, you know, files for that, we could actually, you know, 
sell those and distribute them as well. So, sure. you know, there is some ideas of that. We've also kicked around an idea for what we've been sort of colloquially dubbing as a inventor's challenge. So we would, Ooh. the idea would be that we would identify, say, a problem that um, needs to be solved and then sort of put the challenge out there and folks would try to, I guess, solve this problem and we would have a panel. They would sort of vote on like, what is the best one? And then whatever the winner is would necessarily go to a production sort of round with Jonathan. So sort of like a weird shark tank kind of (laughs) situation. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's problem solving, right? Like there's so many different problems that this community faces in so many different ways. And we're trying to figure out how to best meet that. And, you know, from our perspective, one of the difficulties is that everybody's challenges seem to be quite unique. So, you know, there's so many there's so many different kinds of disabilities. There's so many different issues that people are facing. So it's really hard for us to create like a blanket solution for everybody. But again, like just having that access to this pool of the population and being able to sort of isolate different issues and treat everybody like the individual that they are, we're able to tailor to their needs a little bit better. And I think that's something that I don't want to lose, you know, no matter how big this gets, like I I want to really keep in mind the individual that's behind it, that's making and creating and make sure that their needs are being met. Hmm. Yeah. You, you, you definitely don't want it to get to a point where you're just making stuff to like, I mean, it's nice to get the buzz of feeling good that you made something that helps somebody, but you really want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, you're doing it because there's a person who you're going to be helping. And that person is going to definitely tangent. Um, I can't, I cannot speak for nothing today. <laughs> tangibly not tangentially tangibly benefit from the work that you've done and it's i I just i like the way you've approached the whole thing i really do i i really wish i had more like probing deep thoughtful things to say almost because i feel like you guys have just thought of so much and you're so the 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 charity just seems such a well conceptualized idea Mm -hmm. already that's like, oh, there's really not a whole lot to like, like, oh, no, there's poking holes here, poking holes there or fine. Like, no, you guys seem to have it all. I don't want to say you have it all figured out because I know you got you would never say that you have it all figured out. But it seems to have been really well thought out before it launched. And that's pretty impressive. Also, it's hard to get that much right before the rubber hits the road. So, yeah, yeah thank you. And, you know, I think the reason that that seems that way is because we started from the perspective of how do we help people? And then we worked Mm -hmm. our way back from that as to, you know, sort of the finished product to step one, as opposed to the other way around. And I think that's where, you know, there are a couple other charities that I won't name on here that are sort of in our space where it seems like they got into this sort of, uh, I guess, fundraising, but then it's like, all right, well, what exactly are you then going to do with those funds? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) selling t-shirts and doing giveaways on Instagram because, you know, everybody does that. But like, how are the people that you're trying to help benefiting from what you were, you know, raising? And like, what's the ratio of like dollar in to, you know, measurable benefit for the end recipient? Like, what's that ratio look like? Because it's It's... never one to one. (laughs) (laughs) Never one to one. And you want to get it as close to one to one as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, is extremely hard just because of Of obviously the overheads of things, you know, but again, it's like having measurable success, like, and I'm trying to always remember the acronym, but there's this 
um, when they, I don't know, it's like a buzzword in business where they're talking about goals. They're like, they need to be smart. Right. And it's an acronym yep. where it's like something measurable, blah, 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 blah. I I've got them somewhere. But the idea is that you need to be able to, I guess, quantify everything you're doing. You need to be able yeah. to track it. And that way you can say like, Hey, all right, like I took in this many dollars and then I have consequently then helped say 30,000 people. Like mm-hmm. you need to have some sort of calculus there. And that's really, you know, where we started from is how do we help people? How do we prove that we help people and then work our way back from that? Yeah. I have a question for you and I don't know if this is way too big of a question to answer in an easy way, but you <laughs> mentioned that you are an attorney advocating for kids in foster care and you're working on charity stuff. Where does that come from? Like, what about you? Like, why do you, why are you drawn to that type of work? Um, so I'm Catholic, so I'm extremely guilty, I guess. Like, okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, second to Jews. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, flagellating myself. Um, there you go. just drop my headphones. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I will say that I guess just all my life, I've always been somebody where, you know, as Vincent can say, like, I've got a very peculiar personality, but at the same time, I've always sort of had this desire to leave things better than I found it and to try Mm -hmm. to give and help. And, you know, whether or not that's just like a kid that's grown up on too many Marvel superheroes and has a little bit of a hero complex, I can't really (laughs) pin that down. But I mean, you know, like when I was in law school, I remember just having that feeling of, you know, I want to do this so that I can help people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were tons of opportunities for me along the way to, just make a boatload of cash and chain my leg to my desk and, you know, never leave. But at the same time, like I didn't feel like those opportunities were opportunities where I could really see the population that I'm helping and feeling that. So well, yeah, it uh, starts to beg the question at the end of the day, am I going to feel, how am I going to feel about myself? That yeah. comes into play too. Absolutely. We always used to ask, we always used to ask on this show was one of the last questions we asked before the end of the show. We always asked the guests, what does fulfillment look like to you? And it's like, it's interesting because when I see someone like you, someone who I know really well, I always, you know, I'm like, yeah, no, he's a fulfillment for him would be just how many people did I help today? Yeah. You know, like how many people did I make life a little bit better for? How many people did I change their life a little bit today? And it just, oh, it just yeah. shows it just, you don't get involved in this, especially it's, I mean, people think it's so, I, I have a feeling that the average person thinks a 501c3 is just like any other job and they don't realize the challenges when you're involved in a charity and the amount of reporting you have to do and the amount of oversight that if, you know, people are doing their job that you're subject to and all that stuff. And it's like, you have to have a passion for helping people to put up with the amount of crap you have to put up with to do the stuff that you're doing. And it's just, you know, you and Jonathan and the rest of your team, it's just, it's great. It's great that you guys feel that passion and you can put that passion and direct it towards something that's helping so many people. So, yeah, thanks. And just to sort of, I guess, dovetail into both of y'all's points, like, so um, one of the, I guess, directions that I'm really trying to take in my woodworking specifically is I want to teach more, you know, like I want Mm -hmm. to sort of spread like this gospel of like Japanese woodworking tools a little more, um, I guess, prolifically, or just to make it a little more accessible to folks because the learning curve is so high. And because I feel Mm -hmm. this like intense cultural responsibility as being somebody who's half Asian to try to, you know, get this stuff out there because, you know, everything does have a tendency to be very like Western woodworking, you know, like very 
Yeah, on the nose. Like there's no not a lot of like diversity in the product. I mean, like let's not even get into, you know, the people that are doing it, but like the product itself is so, you know, just like here's a shaker cabinet, you know, congrats. Like <laughs> Japanese and Chinese furniture. Like the- <laughs> yeah, is so I mean, it's something that's appreciated. And I think when people see it, they're like, "Oh my gosh, like that stuff is amazing." But nobody really I think takes the time to you know, learn about it and really explore it much. And so that's something that I've, you know, really caught on to and felt this very strong responsibility for. So, you know, yeah, it, this idea of spreading knowledge and helping people has just been something to be frank, that's just permeated every aspect of my life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know the underlying reason as to why that is. <laughs> because but, it, was kind of, it was kind of a big question. Um, <laughs> but I, I like that you mentioned the Japanese woodworking because I'm trying to think it was a, a bunch of episodes back. But um, when um, Alan Kerboy was on, he works at a living history museum. And we were, we were having a conversation about passing down skills and trades and how that's changed in like where, you know, hundreds of years ago, like if you didn't have someone actually teaching you the woodworking techniques that were specific to your culture, like you're like a parent or whatever, sitting with their child and showing them, it just gets lost in that it's a gift that we live in an age where that can happen digitally. Yeah. But it takes people putting it upon themselves to say, all right, I want to take my, you know, what I know and what's personal to me and, and preserve it digitally for others as well. So I, I think it's, you know, interesting to hear you talk about that a bit more. Yeah. And I mean, I 100% agree with that. You know, like if we're just taking all this knowledge that we're accumulating and we're just putting it deep, deep inside with our feelings and then we die, like it's not really doing anybody any good, you know? So, and it doesn't, it doesn't take that many generations for something to die. My voice just cracked. Wow. That was so emotional guys, (laughs) but it doesn't take that many generations for something to just be completely forgotten. And we think, Oh, you know, a hundred years isn't that long, but or even 50, I don't know how long people live these days, but like, you know, just even one generation is truly a blip um, and something can be completely lost. Oh yeah, absolutely. And actually I'll sort of tie that into Japanese uh, carpentry tools. So we're all familiar with Japanese pole saws, right? Like, you know, everybody's got that like flexible, you know, (laughs) ryoba or a kataba that they're using. So those originated from actual hand-forged, steel saws that were made by Japanese craftsmen and then sort of a more advanced part of, I guess, the industrial revolution, they became disposable because there was not, uh, what the term is matate, which is the individual that knows how to properly sharpen and tension those saws. So there weren't the folks that knew how to do that as accessible. It was this whole process where if you had a dull saw, you had to send it away, you had to be without your saw for a while so that this expert could essentially do that. So it made using those saws a lot less popular and then they created these disposable saws. So where are we at now as we sit here in 2022? Well, you can't really find new properly handmade uh, non-disposable Japanese saws. Everything that is quality essentially died out in the 70s. So now you find, and uh, I actually have a Japanese tool dealer. He's, you know, like a drug dealer of another kind, essentially. Um, <laughs> but he comes across these and he's like, yeah, he's like, this is, he calls it new old stock. I don't think this is a novel term, but it's this idea is like, this has never been used, but it's been sitting around in somebody's, you know, the back of somebody's shop for God knows how long. He makes sure that a matate has 
like I said, tension, pounded it out, sharpened every single tooth, and then, you know, provides it to the user. And let me tell you, when you use tools like that, it is an absolute revelation. It's like, I can go back to a pull saw for the purpose of like, I just need something disposable on a job site, but for the purpose of say, you know, advanced carpentry, fine joinery, those sorts of things, it's really, really hard to go back to, you know, your Amazon special. So, yeah. I love that. I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that there's been a kind of a mental pivot toward wanting to teach more and, you know, teach your skill, teach a skill more because I had a similar pivot with my own stuff where I was like, I don't, I'm getting bored with demonstrating that I'm capable of making good looking things. I want to, I want there to be that story behind it. Like for me, it wasn't to pivot from, you know, making to teaching. It was more of a pivot for me to, from producing to creating, you know, where it's like, okay, the stuff I make now, I want, I want it to have a story. I want it to have a meaning. I want it to have something artistic about it. Something where, you know, when you get it in your hand, you're like, oh, this is the story behind this thing. And I feel like that's kind of changed my philosophy about the stuff that I make. And for you, I think, and I'm, if I'm putting words in your mouth, just tell me, but I feel like for you, it went from, hey, look at this cool thing I know how to do to let me show you how to do this cool thing I know how to do. Let me teach you how to do this cool thing I know how to do. And I think that's an awesome pivot to make because I feel like that's way more fulfilling in the end than just, you know, jumping on YouTube channel and going, look at this table I made. This thing is gorgeous, right? Okay. See you next video. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with that. And then to even, you know, sort of get back because I do truly have a love for these specific tools, you know, mm-hmm. Japanese tools have become this, like I said, you know, I ate the Bible. Like it's, it's a part of me now. So um, one of the things to keep in mind is that a lot of this stuff has not sort of caught up to the industrial revolution. Like they don't, there are some mass produced Japanese chisels, but for the most part, a lot of Japanese steel is still made by artisan blacksmiths and their families. And it's a um, craft that is handed down generation to generation to the point that I'm, I don't really know the names as well, but like my tool dealer will sit there and be like, Oh, like this one is made by so-and-so it's almost like, I have, you know, a basketball that was gifted to me from LeBron James. I mean, it's that like kind of intensity. And so, you know, when people stop learning how to use these tools and when people stop caring about them and wanting them, then that craft goes away. Like those artisans mm-hmm. go away. As soon as the market dries up for that, that's gone and that culture is lost. And so yeah. to me, that's where like I feel that strong importance to teach that, you know, it's like, hey, like, this is how you maintain this because, you know, I know that the learning curve is high. I know that it's a little weird to get these for the first time and start messing with them. But once you do learn how to use it, it's a complete revelation. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was using anything before this. So yeah, yeah once you have that, then you were ultimately preserving this product, preserving this culture. And to me, that's so invaluable. I'm almost thinking of the last time I used a western saw and it's funny because i grabbed my dad's i have two of my dad's saws in my tool stash and i needed a saw in a hurry and i had not fully unpacked my shop so i couldn't find my pull saw and i'm like all right i'm just gonna use one of dad's and oh i was cutting with this thing and i'm like how how did we use these like how did anyone my dad 
only he had different sizes of a traditional Western saw, but it was all the same saw, just some were bigger, some were smaller. And I'm so used to using a pull saw that I was just like, I've got to go find it. I ended up tearing every box open looking for that saw because, you know, you said it's a you know a revelation when you start learning how to use these tools. I think it's to the point where if you just even with the saws, I can understand that because after using a pull saw, using a Western saw just feels ass backwards. And it's like, I hate it. Like, I don't want to ever touch one again. If they weren't my dad's, they'd be gone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Um, so this is a question that I usually ask much earlier in the episode, but Chris, uh, wh- how did you learn woodworking and what types of tools did you learn on? Oh man. So for some reason I thought there was going to be more to that sentence, but it stopped. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, so, you know, and this is interesting because I did cover this in March of 2020. So oh no, <laughs> oh is, no, it's fine. We're all good. You know, that was a very long time ago. It was a totally different time in life. Um, you know, the so world, I bought the world, a house. The world's changed a lot since you bought a house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, you know what? Let me, let me give a more expanded well, the, the, answer. Actually, the, I, the second the second part of my question before you get too far into it is just going to be like, when did you when did you start working with traditional Japanese tools, and what was like your first tool? This is what he okay. loves to talk about. You just asked the right guy the right question. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll sort of break this up into two parts, and I'll spend less time on the first part and more time on the second part. So um, cool. <laughs> growing up, I was really into surfing. Uh, I still enjoy surfing from time to time, and I started a ding repair business, basically fixing broken surfboards in my parents' garage in high school. I got really into using tools, uh, using resin. I used resin before it was cool um, and really like got very proficient just using basic power tools, right? Um, I bought a house in 2016 and needed to outfit it because it was a foreclosure. And I spent all my money doing the remodel and then I didn't have any furniture and a friend turned me on to YouTube. And then that's sort of how you know, my DIY woodworking journey began. Um, somewhere around, I want to say 2019, a friend of mine who's a little bit of like a Craigslist slash offer up picker to say the least, uh, came across a set of Japanese chisels. Um, they're really crappy Japanese chisels. Um, I purchased them from him for $30, the entire set, which if you know much about actual expensive Japanese chisels, that is a huge price difference. Um, and that's basically how I began using them. Um, but I didn't really know what I was doing with them to be fair. So I was treating them essentially the way that I would treat Western chisels. I just sharpen them the way Paul Sellers or Jonathan Katz Moses or anybody would say how to, you know, take care of them. And during the pandemic, I took a class, uh, with the Florida school of woodwork and the instructor was Dylan Iwakuni who is a, um, I don't quite want to say a master Japanese carpenter, but I believe he's technically a master in um, a specific joint. So he um, essentially works on these old, say like 150, 200 year old houses. They disassemble the entire house and then they replace all the rotted or destroyed components and then reassemble it. So he really cuts scarf joints. Like that's like his primary thing that he does. And Um, sort of getting basic introduction to Japanese carpentry principles from him. And then that just opened up the rabbit hole. I took a couple classes with him and then became pretty friendly with him on Instagram. Uh, We talk fairly regularly. And then that just created this, like I said, this huge rabbit hole of these are the tools. This is how you take care of them. I did a lot of research. 
And then I don't quite want to get into my thing of the week because that's going to sort of get into that as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I went down a very deep dive into that. I will say, so um, from speaking with Dylan, I was trying to figure out how to get more into like, I guess, higher end Japanese tools. And he suggested a maker. I believe he's based out of Connecticut. Um, he's a blacksmith. His name is Jim Blauvelt. And he is probably the only American-based um, Japanese-style uh, blacksmith. Like, So if you see Jim, he is a super white dude, <laughs> you know, big grizzly beard, <laughs> really nice guy. And I ordered a chisel from him, and it took forever to get to me. He, he had the chisel finished, but he was um, hand-forging the ferrule. And, you know, he has a regular, I guess, day job and, you know, lives his life. So I was not on his priority list, to say the least. Um, it took, I want to say 10 months or something for that chisel to eventually arrive. And as it was coming out to me, he said, he's like, oh, like, you know, since you've been so patient, I'm going to throw in a, a blade for a Kana, which is the uh, Japanese hand plane. And he's like, Ooh. just, it's yours. He's like, you know, you'll, have you ever used one? I was like, no, I never did anything with it. And he's like, so he's like, all right, well, now you have a chisel. So you'll be able to like make your own plane body and, you know, that whole thing. And so that really is where that kind of kicked off as far as I did a YouTube video on making a Japanese plane body for that specific blade. Um, it failed semi-miserably, not as miserably <laughs> really hoped. Um, but I learned a ton out of it. And then that got me super hungry. So, you know, then it's another chisel, it's another plane blade. And the next thing you know, I mean, I've got a Jap Japanese tool dealer. So, you know, yeah. That's that's how that works out. I love it. I love it. I love how you, I love I love how you're you're the same guy you were when we talked to you last, but you're still you've done so much and changed. You know, you're pivoting what you do and where your interests lie, and you're doing the charity stuff. And it's just like this is why I like this is why having guests back on after an extended period of time is always fascinating because you get to see like wow. You did a lot in two years. <laughs> like two years, you, got a, you got a lot done there, buddy. But I it's crazy to that. think that that was two years ago. You know, like it, it feels like a blink of an eye. But it's also I mean, been a time warp. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> to be fair, but that was the episode. If you remember, that was the episode where you mentioned Justin, maybe, and I said, "Who? I don't. I have no idea who that is." And yes. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I'm like, "Oh no, this guy's really cool," and he was on the show. So, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah, everything ties together. Now, I, I there have been so many times where I'll, you know, Chris and I'll talk about something and I'll, I'll mention somebody. Like, I remember when I was talking about John Perilla and you're like, oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. I'm like, oh, OK, of course he's a friend of yours. Like, of course, like, <laughs> you know, I there was one time and I, I don't think I'm talking out of school here, but it was just really funny. Like, Chris, and, when Ethan and I always talked about fine woodworking, we always mentioned Chris Salamone and John Perilla. Right. And at one point, Chris Cowdog Chris, our guest tonight, actually messaged me. He goes, could you stop mentioning Perilla every time you mention um, Every time you mention fine woodworking, could you stop mentioning Perilla every time? It's like, it was just the funniest freaking thing. It's like, it's going to blow up his ego. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, John's, John's cool. He lives probably only, I mean, I want to say like five or 10 miles away. I pop by his house. I mean, not super often, but, you know, at least a couple times a year just to, you know, say what's up. And he's one of the most generous guys. I mean, part of it is that he does like a tool purge every so often. So we have like a little group chat with a bunch of South Florida uh, makers and he just gives away all kinds of crap. He's like, Oh, like I got a, an eight inch joiner that's been sitting under my bench for, you know, three and a half years. Does anybody want it? And he's just, 
like get rid your of circle, it. Keep it moving. <laughs> your circle in that area is just awesome. I mean, you got him, you got PJ, you got, you know, you. I don't even, there's probably people I'm not even thinking of off the top of my head that are in that immediate area. But oh, yeah, uh, you Dusko, just, you forgot Dusko Pesic, uh, DP Woodworks. The, uh, oh, there we go. God himself. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's an animal. I mean, that guy, like as far as like digital work, I uh, I mean, he's something else. And one of the most generous guys, to be honest, like he is, he's next level on that. So yeah. It no, is kind of crazy how everyone in this community, to, for the most part, I mean, you know, we is just so generous and giving. It's like, I'll give you my, you need this tool, take my tools. You know, you need the, you know, you need knowledge. I got knowledge. You need ex, you need experience. I got experience, you know, call me. Hey, here's my phone number. I've never exchanged as many phone numbers. I have more makers in my phone book than I have people I know because it's like, yeah, everybody's just like, yeah, take my phone number. You need me, call me. It's like, oh, wow. That's uh that's kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, my wife part. always. Uh, sorry, my my wife always cracks up because, and I don't know, Brooke, if you deal with the same thing. Just, um, she always says that like it's hard as a woman to make friends, you know, like even like other girlfriends, like etc. She's like, it's just it's tough, and she gets very like. I don't want to say annoyed, but a little like frustrated when she sees me where I'm like, yeah, like I'm flying out to wherever to go meet up with so-and-so that I met on the internet like two and a half months ago. And she's like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, I think I've met more really, really solid female friends via like the maker group in the past few years. I have some great friends from before that point too, but absolutely. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's a really, really good perk of being a part of the group. Oh, yeah. And I mean, to sort of tap back into uh, what Vincent was talking about at the start of the show where, you know, you were going out to Jimmy's and, you know, like I'm going out to Jimmy's and I think it's like two weeks now. I'm going yep. back out for the timber in again. So, in, you know, yeah. and that's a, I yeah. mean, a lot of the same crew that was out there for uh, the, um, sorry, the cart race. And, you know, a lot of the, it seems like there's a lot of the same folks that go out there in general, mm -hmm. just, you know, from event to event. But I mean, those guys are great. And I mean, obviously Jimmy's great too, but just the whole squad up there. I mean, it's, I it's feel a like really once tight you crew. Find, once you find, I know that, you know, we always talk about the, you know, the internet brings everybody a little closer, but I think really once you find that geographical closeness and you can find a, a group of people that you look forward to seeing at events like that, like people, you know, people you get excited about people who, you know, you give them a handshake and it's like, you feel like you're shaking hands with an old friend and, you know, you catch up time. Like, I feel like once you find that group, that's when you really start to feel like, oh, no, this community is something special. Like, it's okay to have online friends. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you give someone a hug in person or you shake their hand in person, it's just a very, it's very, very different. Very different. So some people are just better huggers than they are IMers. It's just the way it is. So. <laughs> Um, why don't we, why don't we jump over to things of the week when we can actually continue, um, we can continue the conversation a little bit because Chris has a thing of the week that's very relevant to his interests, surprisingly. Yes. Um, so yes, my thing of the week is, I mean, it's my thing every week it feels like, but, um, Kazurikai USA. So what is Kazurikai? other than a really hard word to pronounce. Um, so Kazurikai in Japan is sort of this plain shaving competition. So it's, you know, if you've ever been like kind of Googling around or like looking on Instagram for those really long, super thin Japanese plain shavings so that look like toilet paper when they're pulling them, um, mm -hmm. those are the Kazurikai competitions in Japan. And they used to do them here. I don't think they've done them recently because of obviously COVID and, you know, subsequent issues after that. But um, one of the reasons that Kazurikai USA is my thing of the week 
and as I said every week, is because it is one of the best ways to get uh, information on Japanese woodworking, Japanese carpentry, um, literally just Japanese culture in general. And they offer online Zoom classes. And I actually take a fair bit of education through them. Um, they are a nonprofit organization. So you are literally oh, cool. just putting your money like right into preserving this um, tradition and craft. And, you know, from timber frame layout to how to dial in a hand plane. And some of the classes are a little interactive. They're sort of like follow along classes. So, you know, you'll be, say, working with Andrew Hunter, who is. Uh, an American that does, you know, a lot of fine Japanese uh, woodworking and Chinese furniture. And it'll be all about like how to properly set up a brand new Japanese block plane, which let me tell you is a whole, you know, that's, that's a day, a full day's work right there. But it's just, you know, the things that sort of steer people away from our work in Japanese woodworking, this um, nonprofit really tries to break that down and bring people back in to get more practitioners and more people that are interested in it. And then obviously preserve the craft. I, I love the idea. I love the idea of craft preservation and like looking at yourself, like people that do things that are a little outside the mainstream, like Alan was talking about it with blacksmithing and even the ceramics, the red pottery stuff that yeah. the red ceramics that you guys were talking about. Um, just all these skills you know, you're almost like a, like a cultural preservationist also, aside from being a maker. It's like, you know, preserving that skill is preserving a piece of the culture. And, you know, being able to take a class from people that know what they're doing and can teach you how to do a thing, like, that's that's really cool. Um, I actually have, I have the link in the show notes already. So if you need to learn your Japanese woodworking stuff. And I was just looking at their classes page, and they are going to at some point be releasing these classes in streaming format. Which awesome. is correct. Yes, crazy. that has been a huge problem with them, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so, I mean, not to to bash Kez USA too much, but it's it's a lot of older folks, um, and sure. they are very stubborn in their ways. So, to get a streaming library has been a like monumental thing. Like they've just been, honestly, I don't know. They've just been doing these Zoom classes and then being like, okay, like we're good. But to have like an actual informational library with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, because the That's other where the value is because you could also charge. I mean, I hate to say it, you know, but if you're a nonprofit and you have a bunch of classes and you have some qualified people teaching them, well, guess what? That library is now super valuable to you. Absolutely. Like that, yeah. That's a hell and, of a revenue stream for a nonprofit. <laughs> you know, like, unfortunately, and, you know, candidly, I'm part of this problem in a weird way, but like, you know, YouTube is a sort of source of misinformation when it comes to Japanese woodworking, you know, like a lot of people that think they know what they're doing on YouTube are like sort of really just learning and going about their processes. And then they're like, Hey, like this is how you should do it. And it turns out that's not the way you should do it. And these guys know the way it should be. So, you know, going directly to the source and a reliable source of that has a ton of value. So I love yeah. It. So yeah, you know. I will have that link in the show notes and, uh, Feel free to check them out. It, it sounds like a hell of an organization, actually. So that's a good one, Chris. I like that. Um, better than last year's, which was toilet paper. Well, Charming, specifically. <laughs> although, in Charming. fairness, in fairness to Chris, it was March of 2020. I think everyone's thing of the week was toilet paper at that point. <laughs> um, Brooke, your thing of the week. Yes, I have a little bit of an elaborate thing of the week again. And okay. that is, and it's, it's something that we acquired a while back, but we finally used this past week and a half. 
Okay. Um, and that is a dr- our drone. And specifically, we have uh, it's the whole. M- Michael wrote out the exact model. Nice. So I can give the details here for everyone listening. It's the Holy Stone HS seven hundred E drone. And the reason we picked this one is just because it's it's like not cheap, but it's not ragingly expensive in terms of having a drone that can fly real heights and things like that. And it takes pretty good quality video and it, and it goes right to your iPhone, which I appreciate about it. Um, but we flew this thing around this week in Rhode Island and we had a great time with it. Like I'm, we, we practiced over the ocean and stuff like that. So we, we were feeling pretty comfortable, but I cannot wait to fly this in Maynard over the old mill where our Ooh. shop is and stuff. Very but cool. I want to make sure I'm really comfortable with it because it's kind of a populated area. Then I don't want to be the jerk crashing drones into things. No, that, but I'm, that gives you a pretty bad reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm super looking forward to getting some footage with this and using it for stuff. It, this is I, I can't. By the way, it's $300. Yeah. Like it's a $300 4K drone. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's impressive. And I mean. It it's we 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 were it was fine it worked great for us like I don't I I have admittedly very little experience to compare it to but I don't know sweet it was doing I great definitely have that in the show notes it's on Amazon and it's Prime I would say if you're smart wait till well actually as you listen to this if you're listening to it on Wednesday it's the last day of Prime Day so you might want to uh, run over to Amazon and just see if it's you know, two ninety nine or less. Right now, it's ten percent off. So uh, yeah, we got to kind of think. We got to kind of thinking if we ever want to get like a nicer one, it's a good one that we can see how often we use it before gonna, springing for. I'm just going to put it. I'm just going to put this out there. I'm just going to put yeah. this out there. I have had the DJI Phantom Three. Mm-hmm. I have had the DJI Mavic Air Two. Mavic Air. And now I have the DJI Mini 3 Pro. And I will tell you that the leap from the Phantom 3 to the Mini 3 Pro is ridiculous. Like, I I was confident enough the first time I flew it, which was at Jimmy Speedway, mm-hmm. to fly it over the track and film people going underneath me. Like, that's okay. how comfortable I was. So, yeah, the, it, modern drones, I agree with you. Get get something you can afford. I think this is a great starter idea. Um, as long as you know, you said you flew it, so that means it's stable. It's relatively comfortable to yeah. fly. Yeah, we flew it over the open ocean, like yeah. off a cliff, and it circled back. And we flew it over an old like World War One fort. Oh, it's fantastic in Rhode Island, which is cool. It's like one of our favorite spots out there, and we got some really cool shots. It, like it's a fort that sits up on the cliffs, and it was one of those moments where we were like, "Should we go over the cliff? Like, should we? Should we keep going?" And we did, and and it came back. It's, <laughs> it's sitting right next to me. So, I I would highly recommend something like this to get started with. So I think that was a smart move, and I think what you're going to find, the more you use this the more you're going to be like, yeah, I can justify a more expensive one. So probably, if, probably. Yeah. But we'll wait a couple years or whatever. A hundred percent. If yeah. you don't put a hundred hours on this, don't bother. Exactly. This one. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you got to make sure the battery is charged. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. A good buddy of mine had an experience. So he's a professional photographer and he was doing, um, I guess what they called like a fitness vacation. So essentially CrossFit people that go to like a destination and do like a workout somewhere else. Weirdos, basically. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, but anyway, <laughs> long story short, they were on a 
boat and he was trying to get drone footage of oh, the no. crew, like on the boat. And so he set the drone off yeah. knowing he was like, ah, like there's not much battery life, but I think, you know, it's a quick shot. I should be able to get it. And of course he said it was coming back to him. And then it just dropped, like just, yeah. you know, yeah. fell straight up. There's no glide. Then, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know, one of the guys actually jumped off the boat and swam and got it. But oh. by then it was, it was done. He's like, you know, yeah. once it's in the water, it's not like you can just put it in rice, like a cell phone. Like it's. <laughs> yeah. but, um, that, but that CrossFit guy no. gave it, gave it his, gave it his effort. He jumped off the yeah, boat and took off. his moment. Yeah. Thank so. God it was CrossFit guys he was with because like, uh, you know, normal, normal beer drinking boat guys would have just been like, oh, that no. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that <All> sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hope our, it floats. Our cousin, our cousin used to do drone footage of sailing races, really mm-hmm. niche, but he lost his drone once a similar way and it was a tragedy. He had a really nice one too. This is not rare, by the way. I just want to point out DJI has insurance for this that you can buy when mm. you buy your drone, which of course I bought for mm. this one because I'm like, I will. I have crashed badly every drone I've owned. Even though I know what I'm doing, I still crashed them badly. So it's like, if I know what I'm doing and I'm going to crash it, I should buy the insurance right up front and have it just from day one, just in case. So that's another tip, by the way. If you're buying it from the manufacturer and they offer insurance, don't be stupid. Take the insurance. Just get the insurance. Get we the crashed. Insurance. We crashed ours on our first flight. Yeah, I cartwheeled mine. Broke two props. Uh, I cartwheeled a drone. Yes, I cartwheeled a drone into the ground. Go so ahead. Imagine we were. That. We were. We were. For some reason, it didn't register with us that where you start from matters that much. So we were just <laughs> sitting on a coffee table, like not a coffee table. What am I trying to say? We were sitting just on a picnic table in mm-hmm. a wooded area. And just like plopped the drone down on the <laughs> on the on the picnic table, and of course Michael, my husband. If anyone knows Michael, you can totally picture this. He was like, he was like, all right, let's go, and he just clicks go, and it just goes up, and then it like crashes down into the tree, and boom, boom, boom. <laughs> we broke we broke like a bunch of parts, you and become, it was within the first minute of. of you it. become very aware of things <laughs> above you, below you, and to the left and right of you. Very yeah. aware. I hope someone was watching us and laughing at us the whole time. I hope so. At least it was for somebody's entertainment. I think you had a second thing of the week too, or at least yes. something okay, you just okay. wanted to mention. It's just, it's like so self-promote-y, but um, on makersworkshop.com, we've been working really hard on salvaged laser-ready, um, like laser-ready sheets, basically, that are all domestic lumber. It's all wood that came down very, very local to us in our shop in um, the Boston area. And um, it's all wood that came down in storms or like necessary tree work and stuff that we salvaged, milled ourselves, dried ourselves, and we now have in laser ready sheets. So it's like a sustainable, less big boxy option for makers. If you do laser cutting mm-hmm. um, on makersworkshop.com, I believe we currently have up there these four by four by four cubes of just sample packs that have a mix between quarter inch thick and eighth inch thick wood um and then it's just a mix of domestic uh varieties from near us so i believe it's walnut oak uh sugar maple mulberry elm what am i missing i'm cherry cherry. yeah Yeah. i probably (laughs) missed one but if you want to grab a cube you can get a feel for the product a feel for the feel of the wood and whatnot to see how it works for you and then hopefully by the end of the week we will have some larger sizes that are available to order by the sheet and like different thicknesses of all varieties also available on makersworkshop.com. 
as someone who may or may not have gotten the very first cube, you did get the very ever, first cube, the very first one. So as someone who may or may not have gotten the very first one, they're really, really cool. And once, once life calms down a little bit, I have some really cool jewelry ideas that I'm going to use this wood for because some of it, the figuring, like if I cut it the right way, the figuring is really nice. So I got to so. say, like, there's something about New England lumber too. It has so much character. Yeah. Where whenever we mill stuff up here, we'll crack into like a maple tree or an oak tree. And I'm like, that's not what that looks like. And then I'll, <laughs> it just, it, it is, it is what it looks like, but it just has so much character. It's got to be because of the harsh seasons and stuff. Could be. But yeah. Could very, could very well be. Um, I will have the link to the item on the Maker's Workshop site, which you uh -huh. no longer need to be a member to get to. So no. you can buy this stuff right off the site right online without yes. a membership to Maker's Workshop. So Michael has been working so hard on this website. He has. And he really has been working so hard on the website to make it work exactly how we want it to work. Give Michael a big round of applause, everybody. Big yeah. Round of applause for Michael. Yay. Michael <laughs> doesn't get the love he deserves. He's truly the best. He's like the classic, just quiet, sits there and just does. I don't know. Like he's just very diligent like that where he'll he's sit focused. until very focused. He'll just very sit focused. until, until it's done. Which is funny because I know you can be, but I know also know that generally that's not your vibe. <laughs> You're a little can scattered. Be. <laughs> I'm a little scattered, yeah. A little scattered. Not in a bad way, just in that creative artsy way. Um, sure. What's your thing of the week, Vincent? Well, since we're talking about laser stuff, I figured I could talk about my very favorite material in the laser, which is acrylic. And my favorite laser acrylic supplier is the one and only Houston Acrylic. Um, honestly, I've had a lot of suppliers over the years. Right before the pandemic, I was getting all of it from Canal Plastics, which is which was great for me because I used to live in New York and... Wow, was it wonderful when before the pandemic, I could order something today and have it in two days. And they had everything and they had a lot of it and they could custom cut for you and they were fantastic. The problem is that once the pandemic hit, it was damn near impossible to get anything from them. And then post pandemic, it just doesn't feel like the same company anymore. So I went on the search for an acrylic company and somewhere along the line, I stumbled upon Houston Acrylic. I don't know if they followed me on Instagram or I followed them. But I ordered a, a sample ring from them, which is basically a piece of ball chain with a sample a sample disc of every acrylic that they sell. And I was like, oh, this company is really, really cool. In fact, in fact, very fun fact, the one piece of white acrylic I ever had in my shop went to make a croc thing for Chris from Cowdog. <laughs> it was the, the only the only white acrylic I had in the shop was from that sample ring, and I cut the croc charm out of that. Anyway, they have literally everything, and what I like about them is they have it in the small sizes, so like 12 by 6-ish. Then they have 11 by 19, which is perfect for the Glowforge, and then they have bigger, and they'll do custom cuts. The other thing I like is if you order a lot of acrylic from them, my experience with them has been, I don't know if this is typical, but it's been my experience that if you order a lot, they try to keep it, it looks like, from the same manufacturer in the same batch, which if you're doing stuff like tab and slot, you have no idea how important that is until you start making tab and slot stuff where the thickness of the material varies tremendously. Three millimeter and six millimeter acrylic is not three millimeter and six millimeter at all. It's sometimes it's 5.5 millimeters, sometimes it's 5.57, sometimes it's 5.7. And 
that makes all the difference if you're doing tab. If you're just cutting and engraving, it doesn't matter much. But it's, I generally like the consistency of the material. So once you get one, once you dial it in once, you don't have to keep dialing it in on every single sheet. So great company, very fast shipping to New York. I, well, New Jersey, I get stuff in three days from them. So that's why they're my thing of the week. And I have them linked in the show notes. So if you need some acrylic, go there. If you need wood, go to Brooke. There you go. We got everything covered. You got your wood, you got your acrylic. If you need leather, I don't have a leather guy. If you're a leather guy and maybe I want to buy some laserable leather from you, let me know. And maybe I'll make you my thing of the week next. But uh, you know who's always going to be our spiritual thing of the week? <laughs> that was quite the segue. Who, Vincent? Our, our financial supporters, because <laughs> without them... We'd be doing this show for free, and that's just stupid. Our financial supporters include Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. a weird guy, Joey of JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis of Making Our Way, Tony Langer from Langer Works, Jake of Make with Jake, Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Justin Ofler of Bear Maked, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Andrew Richard from Andrew Richard Makes, Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes, David from Southern Style DIY, Jeff the Weekend DIYer, Henry Davis of HT1 Metalworks, Austin Saunders, the High Caliber Craftsman, and Matthew, the Wooden Mustache. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine too. Um, leave a review, share the show, turn someone else onto it because the more people listen, the more easily we can get some quality guests onto this show like our good friend, Chris. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure catching up with you again. I know it's not unusual for us to, for me and you to chat, like we chat plenty, but it's kind of cool to chat on the show and give people an update on what you're up to. And the charity is just absolutely fantastic. And we're really looking forward to seeing it blow up some spots. Um, we have a link in the show notes on its own, very yep. easy to find for the build up initiative at um, kmtools.com. Just go to that link, and if you can support the, the charity in any way, please yeah. do. And if you have um, leads for recipients in particular. Yes. And if you are a lead for if you are a lead for a recipient, or if you are a lead, you know, in the media and you can help them publicize this, or if you have some connections to people that you can put Chris and Jonathan in touch with so that they can help publicize this a little bit to get more people that are in need, the stuff that they need to do the craft that they love, then please reach out to either us, reach out to Chris, let us know. We really want to help him get this thing really rolling. Chris, it's been a pleasure, buddy. And thank you so much for coming on, man. No, thank you for having me on. Honestly, Brooke, it was really nice meeting you. You know, I've heard you the past uh, number of episodes, obviously since the switch and you know, it's been a pleasure. So it's yeah, great guys, to meet you too. So much. Chris is, a, Chris is a legend. Chris is a legend. I'll just have you know, you know, Chris and I joke about it all the time. And I always joke about, you know, he's a plain snob and a hand tool snob. But you know what? Secretly, secretly. And this is very secret stuff. So only the people that listen to this show know he's a really nice guy. He won't tell you that. <laughs> he's not just a guilty Catholic. He's actually a really nice guy. And um, it's like I said, I'm glad to call you a friend and you're the only person in the world. And I know I said I was going to do this, but you're the only person in the world I trust my dad's planes with. So um, it's it's an absolute pleasure chatting with you and um, look forward to chatting with you again. Yeah. Until next time. Yep. Until huh, two years from now, we'll mark the calendar. <laughs> I'll put it in my calendar now. We'll see what date it <laughs> yeah. is and we'll, and we'll set it now. You'll need to report back with what you've accomplished with the with the you know with the yeah, two exactly. years 
coming yeah, up. Like between now and two years from now, how many times would have uh, Dave Swidek been on? Like at least another <laughs> 15 well, to 20? Or at least four times, right? <laughs> at least four times. Uh, uh, no, that's awesome. And what's funny is I'm looking at our upcoming guest list and I'm like, well, we only have guests booked out to August 29th. So I guess two years from today is probably open. So maybe we should book it now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you're gonna forget about it. It'll it'll come up, and we'll and we'll reach out. And be like, hey, just confirming the meeting on a Monday at 8 p.m. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Who are you again? <laughs> oh, you used to have that podcast that used to have listeners, right? I remember that. <laughs> That's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Like I said, please go support this charity, um, the Build Up Initiative, and do whatever you can to help them really, really blow it up. And uh, until next time, have a great week, everybody. 